When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, I always wondered why Al Davis was always upset with the NFL and particularly with the former commissioner, Pete Rozelle. I get it now. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, come on in. Pull up a chair. All right, get comfortable. I'll have you for about 30 minutes, hopefully just 30 minutes. I got, I overprepared, okay? I, I have a lot of papers all over, sorry, all over the place, and uh, let's go. So come on in, sit down, have a seat. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, this show is for all of you guys and gals. And look, I always tell you this, if you've never listened to the show before, if you already, uh, already know this stuff, I mean, great, I mean, cool. Bravo, um, but uh, you know, there's always somebody else who doesn't. So my job, the, the reason this show exists is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. And so my job is to do this, I, and this is what I get out of it. I enlighten, I teach, and I also learn. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by both Belly Up Sports and Belly Up Media. The Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, that's what we're a part of. Go to our website, bellyupsports.com. Click on it. Check out the merch. Read the stories and listen to all the other shows as well, but especially this one. Um, concentrate here. You know, keep it right here more, most of the time. Well, you know, this is enough time for everybody else, but you can catch my show as well as all of the, all of the others, all of the others, all of the others on our home base of Megaphone. Also, the favorites like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We have shows that's also on YouTube. Not mine. Not yet. We'll get there. So, uh, you know what? Since I got so much, enough with the babble. Let's get to it. Week three, the rundown. Thursday night football. The 49ers hosting the Giants what, three days later. <laughs> and uh, the Giants, they're missing Saquon Barkley. Their left tackle is out. Um, I mean, it was a slow first quarter for the most part. 
didn't know if it was going to be that close, but you kind of figure, well, the 49ers should blow out the Giants. And exactly happens in the first half what you thought. It was a close game, but in the second half, pretty much it was all 49ers that actually started in the second quarter. Um, and the Giants, at one point, they're just struggling to run the football. They barely had any possessions. And at one point, they had two yards or two drives. That's bad. Daniel Jones, he can't do it all, um, and uh, it, it shows. It really does. On the 49ers side, there was questions I heard throughout the week, especially in the sports radio arena, uh, whether or not Brock Purdy can maintain and even be better than average you know, because some of them, some people apparently see him as an average quarterback. I mean, he's the last pick in the draft. I understand that. But now he's 8-0 and in all of his regular season starts. So that's got to account for something. And as long as Christian McCaffrey and the rest of those weapons like Debo Samuel and George Kittle uh, come out of the woodwork and do what they do. And uh, Trent Williams is slapping people around because he doesn't like the way you looked at him. I mean, I guess, you know, when you beat the Giants 30-12, to that helps, right? Then Sunday, Colts at Ravens. I'm sure every time the Colts come into Baltimore and lose, it brings a smile to the old Baltimore Colts fans' faces. But then, too, uh, this just wasn't going to be one of those Sundays. The Ravens came in missing, what, seven starters? And it wasn't, you know, it's not a good thing. I don't know what's going on with the players with Baltimore. And me as a Steelers fan, I kind of feel that pain because at one point, there was some years where it's over and over again, multiple players getting hurt over and over again. And it's just, it's just bad. And then down to, you know, yet another running back. And then Lamar Jackson, who ran for 101 yards on Sunday, it's almost like, okay, well, we got some people back and we, we can move the football, but it's not at the same clip that we're used to seeing. It's still early in the season, but it was actually a good back and forth game. And Indy actually had a lead you know in the game and it, it wasn't uh i mean the ravens obviously they're at home and they're supposed to be favored to win but it's the nfl anything can happen and it's to be noted like i said those missing starters you saw that but at one point fourth quarter there the colts are down what 17 to 16 and gardner Minshew he pulls a uh a dan olowski steps on the back line to give the ravens a safety but still you know they drove later to tie the score at 19 with a field goal. And then overtime, both teams had their chances. You know, run some plays, punt. Run some plays, punt. You know, go for it on fourth down. You know, but look, I was sure that Justin Tucker was going to end it and it didn't happen. But Matt Gay did the kicker for the Colts right down the middle from 53 yards out. His fourth kick from over 50 in that game. Your final Indianapolis 22, Baltimore 19. Falcons, Lions. Look, if you need a tight end, all right, draft one from the University of Iowa. Don't even look. He's from Iowa, draft him. Just just, just pick him. Don't even think about it. Got Dallas Clark through the years. Dallas Clark, Scott Chandler, Tony Milwaukee, George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, and now Sam Laporta. Thank God I picked him on my fantasy team, brought him from the free agent pool. Eight catches, 84 yards, and he scored his first NFL touchdown. And his 18 catches this season uh, put him at the top of NFL tight ends thus far. The defense for the Lions stepped up as well. They bit a couple uh, ankles and, uh, you know, B. John Robinson, only 33 yards. You know, you check your feet, bro. Uh, and the defense, they sacked Desmond Ritter seven times. That's going to be the key 
Arthur Smith, your quarterback's got to play better. Lions 20, Falcons 6. Broncos, Dolphins. All right. Yeah. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. This is the film that you just throw in the trash. Okay? It's just that simple. 70 points. I have to be fair to Russell Wilson, and that side of the ball clearly has improved under Sean Payton. But look, it's like somebody with Russell Wilson, it's like they put kryptonite under his bed, you know, during his last years in Seattle, and they're still feeling the effects. They just zapped all of his superpowers. But the Miami Dolphins offense, 300 yards passing, four touchdowns, two, 100, you know, from two attack of all over, 157 from Tariq Hill, 203 from my man Devon Achan. Four touchdowns scored by both him and Raheem Mostert, who also ran for 142 yards. He had 142 yards of offense. 726 yards of offense for the Dolphins. Second most in a single game in NFL history. Are you kidding me? And they've scored 130 points in three games. I heard somebody say something really dumb. And if they listen to the show, yeah, I'm talking about you. Is, ah, they, they just got lucky. They got lucky. How do you get lucky scoring 70 points in a game? I've never heard of such. Anyway, I mean, you know, you got uh, what, as far as history, the, the Bears beat down the Washington football team, let's just say it like that, uh, 73 to nothing in the 1940 championship. And then uh, the and Washington actually scored 72 in 66. The Rams scored 70 in 1950. And then, uh, the Dolphins don't do anything but just tie that. <laughs> it's like that's a lot. It's way too early in the season for this as well, but um, definitely not for over management. But who goes first, Russell Wilson or Sean Payton? But anyway, you slice it again. You throw that film in the trash. But look, it's the defense that gave up 70 points. You, you can't point at Russell Wilson for this one. The defense, look, they gave up. I, I mean, you may not want me to say that, but the defense gave up, period. You're all fired. You gave up. You know, they was trying not to get hurt. But look, the first half of this season, the Dolphins could be the best team in the AFC and possibly the league. Uh, Dolphins 70, Broncos 20. Chargers, Vikings. All right, so Brandon Staley, he's getting um, mercifully undressed for his fourth down call, even though they won the game. You, you couldn't run the football, and you give it to the backup running back, and his defense was basically, you know, they had no timeouts. And so we're going to get this first down and run the clock out. They lucked out, you know, in winning this game. They really did. Uh, and the question was, who was going to be 0-3 after that, that game? You know, and how many times are the Chargers going to be in these one-point uh, games? And back to running the ball. So Austin Eckler's gone. Kelly's gone. And Eckler may have a point. Y'all can't run the ball without me. And then, too, the Chargers can counterpoint with, hey, look, you're hurt. So this is part of the reason why we don't pay running backs. But they couldn't run the football. But then Justin Herbert's throwing the ball 47 times, threw for 400 yards. Keenan Allen and Herbert, they were the offense, as well as uh, Mike Williams, who unfortunately tore his ACL and he's gone for the year. But Allen had 18 catches and 215 yards. Man. But, you know, they, they have the... The, the late fourth quarter lead on the tip drill pass from Herbert to Josh Palmer. That's great. But, of course, the question is, you know, was that that fourth down conversion? But, I mean, the Vikings had a chance. You know, they could forward a fourth down with about, what, 30 seconds to go. Then they took forever to run their last play. And then T.J. Hawkinson off his hands and into uh, the Chargers. That was it. The Chargers won 28, Vikings 24. Saints-Packers, Green Bay, they was down 17 to nothing. Jordan Love's 
home starting debut. Wasn't pretty, but he stayed in there. He stayed the course. And it kind of helps with Derek Carr gets hurt. You know, AC joint, that is painful, by the way. And uh, Jameis Winston, he needs to protect and increase the Saints' lead. Didn't happen. Love led the comeback. He has the rushing touchdown. He has the two-point conversion pass with, what, 256 left to go. And he hits uh, Love hits Romero Dobbs. The title score is 17. Then they get the extra point. Fourth quarter lead, 18 to 17, which turned out to be the final. And Winston, he got the Saints close enough for a potential game-winning field goal and went wide right. So, and that's it. Packers escape. Bills, Commanders. Look, this is one thing that I had to note uh, before the games even started, you know, during the week. And, you know, I, I forgot with all of the stuff they talked about with the comeback against the Broncos last week, I forgot about Eric Bieniemy being the offensive coordinator. And I failed to mention this, but, you know, He's doing some pretty good things with Sam Howell. They had the 18-point comeback last week. And, uh, you know, he did Howell what Russell Wilson used to do. But in this Super Bowl rematch against the Bills, all that great stuff being said, all that great optimism, Howell goes out and throws four picks against the Bills. Oh, and he was sacked nine times. Yes, nine times. Bills defense, Buffalo 37, Washington 3. Titans, Browns. Titans didn't come away with this one. They can't run the ball, period. Derrick Henry, 11 carries and 20 yards. In three games, this man, King Henry, 143 yards on 40 carries. One touchdown. But Cleveland, you know, you got Nick Chubb, who's hurt. And um, thank God, you know, it's only his uh, partially turned, ace, torn ACL and a torn MCL, something like that. And they said it's not career-threatening. Praise God. They bring Kareem Hunt back in. Jerome Ford, he's the number one lead back. He ran wild against Pittsburgh on Monday night. He scores twice. Miles, Miles Garrett, he has three and a half sacks on Ryan Tannehill. And most importantly, Deshaun Watson looked a little bit like his old self again. Browns 27, Titans 3. Texans, Jags, dang Jacksonville. You laid an egg at home. You got the beats. The Texans came in there as like they were a totally different team. You know, the rookie C.J. Stroud, pretty efficient, man. You know, and you got a fullback returning kickoffs for a touchdown. You know it's your day. And, you know, that's what rookie head coach D'Amico Ryans needed. He needed that from his rookie quarterback. Got his first win. Texans 37, Jags 17. All right, Patriots and Jets. Woo! Uh, Joe Namath apparently went in on Poe Zach Wilson. And if you have anybody in fantasy uh, that's playing for the Jets other than their defense, you might as well just I, – I, I'm dropping Brees Hall. I'm sorry. Brees, if you're out there, I love you, man. But it's just not happening. It, it's just not. 18 yards rushing. You know, I think he had like 13 carries. It's just not happening. And Zach Wilson can't complete a pass. Namath said, I've seen enough of this guy. And he called the, uh, the sack – that he took disgusting ooh wee and here's a number that one of my buddies sent me the uh, the Dolphins had 726 yards Sunday right well the Jets have 675 for the total this season that's bad <laughs> and the crazy part is is that the Jets still almost came back they had a Hail Mary that fell short and uh, poor poor, uh, poor 
Cobb. I mean, my man, he 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 came back to play with Aaron, and he had a chance to even reel that one pass in. I just thought about him. like, oh, man, he came back for this. I wonder if he's going to retire after this season. Anyway, 15 straight wins against the Jets for Belichick and the Patriots. Well, call me crazy. I almost feel like the Jets are going to have a top five pick in the draft now, if not the top pick. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. But you look at their schedule, I don't see too many W's, man. I really don't. But anyway, it's, it was just just that bad. Uh, <laughs> Patriots 15, Jets 10. Afternoon slate, Panthers and Seahawks for a minute watching that game. I'm thinking, how many field goals can you kick? You know, but in the second half, offense opened up. And at one point, the Seahawks had a 17-point lead. It was 37 to 20. And uh, Andy Dalton, he throws for 361, and Adam Thielen for the Panthers kind of looked like the old Adam Thielen with 100, uh, 100 yards and 11 catches, but it just wasn't. It was too much Kenneth Walker, too much Seahawks defense. Seahawks 37, Panthers 27. Bears, Chiefs. So the Bears defensive coordinator resigns, Allen Williams. And uh, according to Ari Marinoff, uh, he's guy follow, uh nfl guy I follow on twitter you know justin fields he struggled 27 starts he's 5 and 22 he's taking 101 sacks completing under 60 percent of his passes he's fumbled 31 times lost eight of them 13 carries in two games you know we, we got the the whole it's he blamed it on the coaching thing that he walks it back and tries to fix it and try to put it on the media that he said yeah, blames it on the coaches for his robotic play. And, oh, yeah, yeah, they really said that. <laughs> they made you say that. But, I mean, here it is. He probably had a, a really valid point because offensively, it's just the Bears are kind of cursed on offense. When was the last great Chicago Bears quarterback, you know, other than Sid Lugman? I mean, it's, I mean, and I love Jim McMahon, um, but, I mean, golly, you know, they need something and it's just not happening. But on a lighter note, <laughs> Taylor Swift was in the house sitting right next to Travis Kelsey's mom. You see Kelsey and Tay-Tay walking out together after the game. That was great. And Mahomes and them boys, I mean, thank God he didn't hurt that ankle. 34 to nothing at the half. But 13 straight losses for the Bears. Chiefs 41, Bears 10. Cowboys at Cardinals. I heard another dumb thing today. So one of my Cowboy fan buddies yeah, we were missing like two, three starting offensive linemen. Oh, that was yesterday. We were missing like two or three offensive linemen starting. Was, oh, yeah. <laughs> Those offensive linemen are responsible for the Cardinals running for 222 yards on that great defense. That wasn't good. I mean, I understand Trayvon Diggs tears his ACL, and I understand that the defense may not have been as aggressive as you would have liked. But, I mean, Parsons and boys, they're not stopping, you know, rushing the passer. But uh, I almost feel like also then you have Dak Prescott, who really is more of a, I don't know, maybe slightly above average quarterback. But the offense seems a little sanitized, for lack of a better way to say it. But here, look, you know, it's, it's just one of them things where, look, I, <laughs> you, you need him to play better. And you need him to be a little bit more aggressive down the field. You know, throw the football, run the football, let's get some balance. And it would, the, those first two games, Against those two New York teams, those were not the truth. It was the truth for the defense, but you're really going to find the truth when they finally start playing some better teams. Because even the Cardinals are actually surprisingly good. They should have beaten the Giants last week. 
that's that's just what it was the offense for the cardinals they're running the football josh Dobbs is pretty efficient but i mean it, it was what it was on sunday <laughs> what do you want them to do cardinals 28 cowboys 16 sunday night football legion stadium las vegas steelers raiders home opener for jimmy g josh jacobs has 46 yards rushing in two games and he's averaging a yard so they needed him to do a little bit more but they also needed jimmy garoppolo to not throw interceptions thank god me being a steelers fan i'm not being exactly <laughs> impartial but look their offense has stunk as well since 2021 the numbers were put out there that they're at the bottom of the league you know zero games with 400 plus yards of total offense one game of 300 yards passing all of that but i also have to publicly apologize to Najee harris Najee, I'm sorry that you have 15 people on your forehead every time you get the football. It probably four of those 15 are your own offensive linemen because it seems like there's not a lot of blocking there. But then I'm a little conflicted because every time your counterpart, Jalen Warren, gets in the game, he puts a foot in the ground one time and pew, he's in the hole. So, I mean, contrast of running styles, but I need things to be a little bit better but look, I'll take that win. I will definitely take that win on Sunday Night Football. It's just one of those things. I need to see the offense be a little bit more consistent. Matt Canada hasn't been the best offensive coordinator, not the most inventive. But I, I don't want to be holding my breath every snap. I don't need my quarterback, Kenny Pickett, with people in his forehead every play that he's trying to pass the football i like to see some drop back let's throw the football not just down the field but in the middle of the field without a whole lot of extra he's bouncing around he's looking he's looking Ooh. you know and then the next thing you know he's sacked or something like that that's the last thing the steelers need but anyway we got i'll take that win <laughs> i'll take it every time steelers 23 raiders 18. Monday night football, back-to-back -back games. Well, one game on top of the other by an hour. Eagles at the Bucks. You know, the Eagles 25, Bucks 11. That's what you need to know. But at the same time, yes, this offense is different. It's not. It's running the football. And I love uh, my man Swift, DeAndre Swift. He's he's. I'm glad I got him on a fantasy team too. But they they're running the football great. But Jalen. Look, Jalen Hurts is, I guess, as efficient as possible at this point. Because, again, you don't have the same offensive and defensive coordinators. The defense is playing like a monster, right? So you have, you know, the Georgia Bulldogs north, the Philadelphia Bulldogs, with all those guys on that defense from the University of Georgia. They're doing their job for the most part. I mean, it was a great night. You had They're honoring Rondé Barber, the longtime cornerback for the Buccaneers. Uh, you got Baker Mayfield getting out the car with the number 20 jersey on pregame. And, uh, I mean, that was great. And Mike Evans is playing his butt off with these one-handed catches. The guy can still play. I'll take him in Pittsburgh. If you don't want to pay him Tampa Bay, bring him alongside Pickens and company in Pittsburgh. But, I mean, the whole thing is, look, their offense is different. They're still going to win games. It's just not going to be the same way it was last year. I think I'm coming to... Uh, I, I would be at peace with that with the rest of this season. I really would. And so they got the win. Rams at the Bengals. Every time I looked up, Matt Stafford was on his back. You know, Hendrickson, Hendrickson was, was, he wore Matt Stafford 
like a coat last night. And the other thing is, uh, offensively, it looked a little bit different. I, I'll take it. I really would. You had the two guys coming in. You know, everybody was looking at my guy Puka Nakua, and that was fair. Puka Nakua, um, he caught what 25 passes in the first two games, a rookie NFL record. And then Jamar Chase, all pro, came in with 10 catches and 70 yards. Well, he got off the schneid. Joe Burrow played the whole game, despite the concerns about the calf. Calf. I mean, I'm still looking at that. But Chase caught 12 passes for 141 yards last night, and the defense had six sacks on Matt Stafford. I mean, that's what you need, right? <laughs> Bengals 19, Rams 16. That's it. All right, so coming up next, I often wondered why Al Davis and former NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle didn't get along. After doing my studying, I understand it a whole lot better now. So Sunday night football, you know, I, and I wish I would was doing a show on Al Davis when Allegiant Stadium opened. But it was a beautiful sight. You see the, you know, the the flame for him that's that's in the, uh, I guess it's in the vestibule or whatever that's inside the stadium. I mean, that's that that's a great tribute to a great winner, a great NFL owner. Even as a Steeler fan, um, I, I I love NFL history. Uh, did I agree with everything that the Raiders did throughout the years? No, but I can't agree with everything the Steelers have done throughout the years either. But uh, history is history, and this man should be honored. But it was a long time coming, over 40 years. He wanted a new stadium and could get one, you know, for a long time. And uh, Allegiant Stadium is going to host this year's Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58, and the Usher's going to be dancing, you know, pop-locking and doing his thing. At the half, you know, for the halftime show, but uh, that stadium represents one of multiple fallouts. Really, it's a reminder of multiple fallouts that Al Davis had with the NFL and the rocky relationship uh, between he and former NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle. And you got to look at the genesis of their bad relationship. I wrote down four things, uh, and I'm gonna describe each one of those four in turn. And uh, it's just one of those situations where some of the stuff I'm going to be honest with you, some of it I believe, and some of it I'm not sure if all of it is true or not. But I say to a, a majority of all of this stuff I'm about to tell you about, there's possibilities there. It, it's just It just is. And everything that I've seen, everything that I've heard, and the things that I, I know for, my, for a fact on my own, so with that being said, you got to understand the genesis of that bad relationship, which I believe both men were steadfast and immovable in their positions. Roselle as commissioner, Al Davis of being who he was, as well as being um, the owner and one time the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. But being the owner, it, this is when that relationship <laughs> went sour while he was owner. And really kind of before that, to be honest with you. So, you know, no, neither one was going to give in to the other. It's just what it was. You had one that was trying to do his job, and the other, they wanted to get a little, go a little bit outside of the lines because of what he believed in. And he said it. And I quote him, Al Davis, 
take what you want. And that wasn't just on the field. That was off the field as well. That was his mantra. And so you got to look also, I'm going to start with their career art, kick the music. So Pete Rozelle, you know, he knows if anybody has listened to the show long enough and talked about this and mentioned it from time to time, Rozelle was one time the PR man with the LA Rams and eventually elevated to GM and then to the NFL commission in 1960. Uh, Al Davis, meanwhile, his college, his college was uh, his career in college or his uh, his college experience, rather, was what developed him into the football man he became. And he started off by bouncing around between three schools, goes to Wittenberg in Ohio, then he goes to Syracuse, then he goes to Hartwick College in New York, and then he goes back to Syracuse where he was a part of the JV football team didn't have a, a career as a player like that. So he pretty much decided to go and delve into the coaching aspect of things. If you watch the 30 for 30, Al Davis versus the NFL, it describes a lot of this stuff uh, in detail. And he actually showed up, you know, the practices and everything. And he's watching the coaches and taking notes. And he says that they thought he was a spy. And he pretty much admitted that, yeah, he kind of was because he's trying to learn and glean from them as much as possible. And so from there, he eventually coaches at USC. And at one point, you know, when he exited that job, that didn't exactly end the best, but at a coaching clinic, he actually met Sid Gilman, who wanted him to eventually be the, or hired him, just go ahead and say it, to be the backfield coach for the San Diego and LA Chargers in 1960, when the AFL had come about. So. By that time, you got Pete Rosell and Al Davis. They're on opposite sides of the spectrum uh, in, in opposite leagues in 1960. Now, January 18th of 1963, Davis is hired as the head coach and GM of the Oakland Raiders. He gets a three-year three $60,000 deal. And uh, Davis, uh, you know, he loves to coach, and he finally got that team to where he wanted them. Actually, they were trash. And he actually got them to improve to 10 and 4. So, and that's evidence um, if you look at the Oakland Raiders through the years from 1960 to 1979, they actually had the highest winning percentage in the NFL during that span. And you have to credit Al Davis as well as the coaches that he hired and the players that he put in place for that success. So, here's the thing it's, it's about the merger. The merger is the first dime that was dropped in this bucket of souring his relationship with the NFL. And the NFL already thought and felt and spoke of just how much better and greater they were than the AFL. And the crazy thing is, is that Davis says that he did not get the credit for the merger that he felt that he deserved. And here's the thing, um, it was more so along the lines, I had to think about this, and it wasn't the merger itself, because it actually was already underway. Let me say this first. The, if you didn't listen to last week's show, which was called Two Men and an Oldsmobile, which basically is referring to the secret meeting between Tex Schramm and Lamar Hunt. Lamar Hunt, it was his idea. The AFL was his idea. Then he gets you know, other owners involved, starting with the, 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 the one-time owner still in his family, Bud Adams. So with that being said, there were secret merger meetings that were going on 
without his knowledge or any other person's knowledge and that eventually was brought to the other owners okay and they eventually would agree it's like look this is going to happen uh in, in 19 this is in 1966 this is going to happen and those meetings were going on between Texram and Lamar Hunt. Now, Joe Foss, who was the then AFL uh, commissioner, he resigned. He thought he was getting ready to get fired anyway because the owners and others in the AFL organization, they were displeased with the way he was handling things because it was a bidding war for players and it was a back and forth between the NFL and AFL. Understand that. Foss wasn't doing the job that they wanted him to do to fight this war between the two leagues so they could actually not only win this thing but actually last and go on but what Davis did not know was about the merger talks that's what he didn't well Foss resigns the next day they hired Davis he's elected as the new commission of the AFL only by one vote though he gets 60 grand, a private limo, an expanded budget. Um, but apparently, from reading in Charles K. Ross's book, uh, Mavericks, Money, and Men, he wasn't very well liked you know, by everybody. And I think it was the attitude that Davis had of the take what we want. And I don't think he ever really got along with other owners. And it just seems like everywhere he went, that's just the way it was. But Davis didn't know about the merger. And then once everything became public, when they made the announcement of everything that was going to go down, he pretty much was out of a job. You know, those agreements were June 8th of 1966 when those details were made pro public. Roselle was going to be the commissioner of everything, the world championship game, all teams were going to be included because the NFL didn't want to include all the AFL teams at first. They only wanted a couple of them. And he talked about the expansion and the single league schedule in 1970. All these things were dropped. But the thing is, Davis thought that he was going to have a job much like Major League Baseball, where there was an AL and NL, where they had separate schedules and separate league presidents. And, you know, he had one commissioner that was overall thought Roselle was going to head up one side and he the other. That's not what it was. Roselle was put over everything. Davis was out, which he did wasn't too hurt about it. But look, I want to go back into coaching any, anyway, and that's exactly what he did. And he actually became a part owner of the game, uh, of the Raiders. But he only lasted as commissioner for two months. Didn't know that. Only two months. That was it. Um, but then Roselle did a great thing and added Al Davis to the competition committee, which included on the committee. Please correct me if I'm wrong. At first, I thought George Hallis was on there. But pitcher, anyway, was Paul Brown, Tex Schramm, and Don Shula, along with Al Davis. So that merger thing was the way that that went down. He was upset, Al Davis was, not only with the AFL owners because of the way that things uh, were kept from him and then the terms, but he was also upset with the NFL, and uh, which they were headed by Pete Rozelle. It's like... There was kind of, I guess you could say, a distrust there. And I was like, okay, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this another way then. We're, we're going to do some things, you know, to, to make sure that this stuff doesn't happen on my watch to the point where uh, I can 
not have control of the situation because he wanted control of any situation that he was a part of. And that's something he could not control. So he said, okay, basically, I'm going to beat you on the field. Okay, I'm going to beat you on the fr in the front office and I'm going to beat you on the field NFL. And, and he did that for the most part. Well, that was number one. Well, number two, let's just call it the criminal element situation. Okay, so week one, Sunday, September 12, 1976, they're playing in Oakland Memorial Coliseum, Steelers at the Raiders. George Atkinson, he hits Lynn Swan from behind. Okay, he wasn't even in the play. Bradshaw is scrambling on the other side of the field to throw a pass and ended up throwing it to, uh, who was it? Franco Harris for a 15-yard gain, I think it was. But on the other side of the field, you know, Swan's running his route. And then Atkinson, the dirty player that he was, just clubs him in the back of the head and gives him a concussion. And this is week one. Swan misses the next two games. Chuck Knowles pissed off. He don't like that. And the comments that he made afterwards were that there was a, quote, criminal element in the league and basically saying that Atkinson needed to be kicked out. So that was the first nationally televised game. So everybody saw this, okay, especially on the replay. The league office gets flooded with calls and letters about it. P. Roselle says, okay, all right, well, we got to do something about this because they end up watching it themselves. He writes a letter to George Atkinson, finds him $1,500. And then Roselle also find, uh, wrote, writes a letter to Chuck Knoll and John Madden said, get control of your teams. Because by this time in 1976, there's been a rivalry that's been going back and forth mostly going in the Steelers' favor, especially in the playoffs. We'll get to that in a second. But another letter went out to Chuck Knoll because the coach violated the, a constitutional bylaw of the league. You know, the public criticism of another team or player, which was a $1,000 fine for Chuck Knoll. We know these days, you know, you get the fine if you say something about a coach or you criticize the league, what you get a fine, right? Atkinson, he files a suit against Chuck Knoll and the Pittsburgh Steelers for $2 million in damages to his name. There was a 10-day trial, Atkinson lost. All right, no damages, no money. But the film didn't lie. I mean, Swam's on the ground. I mean, you see a lot of different NFL films. And look, I can't really vouch for the Steelers and the way that they behaved as well. But here's the thing, you know, Swan is on the ground. They're giving them extra business. Uh, that's the way things were done back then, though, you know, for the most part. But they were really targeting Swan. Didn't see them targeting John Stallworth like that. So they, they went after another good receiver, but a guy that probably wasn't going to be able to retaliate like a 6'2", 215-pounder would. They hit him out of bounds. They diving at his knees. You tell me. And Atkinson made the point during the interview about Mean Joe Green kicking uh, a guy in the nads for the, uh, in the fight that he had with the Cleveland Browns around that time. John Madden, uh, he talked about Mel Blount dumping Cliff Branch on his head. But, I mean, no matter what everybody else was doing, this was about you and what the film was showing, what you did over and over again. And uh, the Raiders, they pretty much have admitted, you know, doing some nefarious things and this it's what it is but that's the effect you know that uh and now davis just win baby do what it takes and john madden that allowed it you know he he didn't get in their way and he, you know he was he just i mean he allowed it you know as long as we win but uh what was the effect between davis and roselle al davis uh, and the Raiders believe that there was a, a conspiracy against them in favor of the Pittsburgh Steelers anyway. Again, I'm a Steelers fan, but I'm not myopic, okay? The Steelers 
could be just as dirty at times. But we know that the Raiders were definitely dirty. There were other dirty players around the league that did some extra stuff. But then also know this about the Raiders, you know, with their high winning percentage, 64% of their games between 1960-1979, but it was always some close games and some things where they was like never getting over the hump. And Davis felt like the league was against them and trying to hold them down anyway. From 67 to 75, always close. They lost Super Bowl two in 67 to the Packers. 68 and 69, they lost the AFL championship to the Jets and the Chiefs. Then came the Steelers. The immaculate reception didn't go in their favor in 72. Uh, 1973, the divisional round, they beat up on Pittsburgh and Oakland. Uh, the 74 championship after the Sea of Hands game, you know, the Steelers, they straight, you know, got beat, okay, in route to the Super Bowl, the Steelers' first championship. Now, the 75 champ AFC championship, the game was in Pittsburgh. The field froze over because the, the tarp that laid over the field had split. 18 degrees, 62% humidity, 18-mile-per-hour winds, and a windshield of two. Al Davis complained because, look, it's, look, it's not the same, Pete, for both teams because Pete Rosell was saying well, it's the same field for both teams. You know, like, we throw the deep ball, and so we had to move our receivers in a little bit from the sideline where it was most frozen with shorting the field. It still was the same for both teams, but look, when you have the playoffs, you know the playoffs in January, and you're playing in a cold weather spot, why are you depending on the pass anyway? Okay, why? You shouldn't be. And uh, it, it, it was the same for both teams, but at the same time, I mean, I understand the um he was paranoid uh, al davis was a little paranoid but not all of it i don't think all of it i think he had a reason to be paranoid as well okay it, it's just real simple but they didn't the raiders didn't take over take advantage of the seven turnovers pittsburgh had <laughs> and even though they had five themselves but like dwight white you know the great defensive lineman in the steel cur curtain said Excuses, excuses. I'm sorry, I agree with it. And it was more than just throwing the deep ball, you know, run the football. You know, it was a tight game, but they lost it. They lost it. But, uh, you know, the uh, the whole thing was between the, the lawsuit and Davis testified, I believe, in that as well as Roselle. And, it, and, of course, you know, there were several others that had to testify. They felt there was a conspiracy, the Raiders did, and Al, Al Davis did against them and they felt that the the league wanted the Pittsburgh Steelers instead of the Oakland Raiders. That's the way they felt. But I mean, you have the criminal elements situation, so that didn't help. And it really didn't help in this next situation. So let me ask you a question. Why do franchises move? They want a new stadium. Now, Cal Rosenblum and Bob Ursay, they essentially traded teams. Rosenblum was the longtime owner of the Baltimore Colts. Ursay had just bought the Rams a couple years prior um, and before they traded in the mid-70s. And that was mostly because Carol Rosenblum, they wanted a new stadium and Baltimore was not trying to give them one. They were playing in the old rickety place. Was it Baltimore uh, uh, Memorial Stadium or whatnot? In 78, they announced that they were going to move to Anaheim Stadium once he was owner of the Rams. Uh, and they were playing in the LA Coliseum. LA Coliseum was built in 1937 for the purposes of the Olympics. 
the stadium was 40 years old already. 1980, we moved to a new stadium. So David said, ah, we're going to move into that stadium. Roselle and NFL said, hey, bro, nah, no, you're not. <laughs> you're staying right here in Oakland. They blocked it. They filed an injunction, Roselle and the NFL did, to block the move. And the reasoning, I can understand the reasoning, but at the same time, I really do see both sides. So, you know, Davis's move was blocked in 1980 after they had even signed an agreement to do it. Say, like, we're doing this without the league's approval. But that was the thing. The league had voted 22 to nothing against Al Davis and five other owners did not vote at all. But Davis, you know, <laughs> he believed again that the commission and Roselle, they, they just, just had it out for him. And it was kind of weird because, yeah, that year in 1980, the Raiders were going to win the championship. <laughs> so they were going to have to see Pete Roselle after all of this. But Roselle was clear on his point. 12 straight years of sellouts is why they didn't want them to move. And you got a great fan base in Oakland. And uh, it, it was what it was. Well, here's the thing, quiet is kept. The Minnesota Vikings were getting a new stadium, uh, a dome built, the, the, the Hubert H. Humphrey Metro Dome, right? Uh, and that's because they had been playing in ice all those years. So it's like, look, we're not going to keep doing that. They've been doing that since 1961. So they actually got them a stadium, you know, pretty quickly um, built. But and they, I think they moved into it in the early 80s. I don't remember the year. But after all of this back and forth, because Davis said, this ain't over. And I'm, I'm, I'm still going to go to court to get my team out of Oakland and to move to L.A. Now, January 1981, Super Bowl 15, Roselle has to present that trophy to Al Davis and the Raiders. And in uh, and, and either crazier part, I didn't know about the players pretty much using their cleats, I, I believe, to scratch out the commissioner's name off the football that was at midfield. <laughs> Commissioner Pete Roselle, you know. Uh, and the trophy presentation was awkward, but they did it anyway. And, and you know, it, that's what it was. But in 1982, Al finally won the right to move his team from Oakland to L.A. And a $35 million he got in damages was pretty good as well. And so, uh, according to the Washington Post article that I read by both Mark Asher and Leonard Shapiro, and I quote, the jury found that Section 4.3 of the NFL Constitution requiring a three-quarters vote to approve a franchise move violated the Sherman Antitrust Act by unreasonably prohibiting competitive movement of teams. Yeah, so, like, you have to let them go. Uh, and then the other point was, there's a violation of implied faith and fair dealing that was agreed upon two years prior. But Roselle, he appealed, and he was trying to force them to stay in Oakland. He, and he said as much as straight up, you know, interviews, he wasn't biting his tongue. Was, no, I want them to stay in Oakland. Now, he wanted them to stay where they was profitable and popular. And the other thing is, I think the real reason was bigger than that. It was fear of other future relocations because he knew of other teams that wanted to change stadiums. You already had Rosenblum was moving his guys to Anaheim Stadium. They allowed that. So, you know, I don't know what the ramifications were from that as far as, or, or the details of that rather, 
um, in getting that move approved. But look, it was league voting. So if you went through the proper channels to do it, which Al Davis did not, <laughs> it was it was uh, it was going to be a thing. Uh, it's going to be an issue. He won, and then the '82 Raiders, who you know they lost in the playoffs. '83 was their year. They won Super Bowl 18, and then another awkward trophy presentation. Um, but the crazy part is they ended up back in Oakland in 1995. Part of the agreement with the LA Coliseum was that they were going to get luxury boxes. Luxury boxes actually helped uh, that revenue that they didn't have to share with the rest of the league. Okay, because you had you know the sharing of revenues, but not there's certain revenues that's not shared, and that allows different teams say like the Cowboys to pay other other players better or, or, or bigger contracts right and uh, you know we see that today um, but uh, you know there was no upgrades there were no upgrades by the LA Col Coliseum the, the promise of upgrades did not happen and then you know 2020 they finally get Allegiant Stadium which was beautiful alright the Death Star again they're hosting the Super Bowl and Al's son, Mark Davis, got it done. And Al was right. So was Pete. Uh, you know, before you had teams that did move, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, restrictions as much because the league was still trying to find their footing. Uh, excuse the names, but, you know, you had the old Boston Braves that became the Washington Redskins. They moved to D.C. They actually ended up with the right to, uh, they moved to Washington, but ended up playing uh, in the stadium that they were for years in Washington, D.C. Uh, in the 60s, they wanted a new place to play, right? The Chicago Cardinals, it bounced around between Chicago, St. Louis, and then Phoenix, now Arizona. And those Cardinals playing State Farm, brand new stadiums, hosted some Super Bowls. The Rams went from Cleveland to L.A. to St. Louis to L.A. And, you know, now they have SoFi Stadium. Jim Ursay, another one of those owners that knew that they wanted a new stadium. We know their story about him moving the Indianapolis Colt, moving to Indianapolis from Baltimore in the middle of the night in 1984. Baltimore still wasn't trying to build a new stadium. He had the same issue that Rosenblum did and uh, eventually got it done with the new Hoosier Dome, which ended up being, now they're uh, the, what, the RCA Dome. Now you got Lucas Oil Stadium. So they needed new stadiums. You need upgrade. Eventually you have to, all right? The Jets and Giants, they played in the Meadowlands and now they're in MetLife. And then the Houston Oilers. Houston didn't want to build Bud a new stadium. Now they're here in Nashville. The Titans now, they're getting, 20 years later, they're getting a new stadium built. And we should have that by, what, 2026? You know, and there's more revenue for the cities and the teams. So, you know, I totally see both sides. For Davis, he would get the bigger stadium, the bigger market that would include luxury boxes. But L.A. wasn't supporting them like they thought. Nobody was going to those games. It wasn't. Roselle didn't want teams to be moving all over the place and ruin the relationship with fans. See what happened in St. Louis. St. Louis built a new stadium. They ended up with the Rams, and then eventually they lost the Rams. So stuff like that does happen. <laughs> so, you know, um, it was really, really interesting. So, I mean, I, I, I love the way that that happened. So you have the merger that started it. You got the, the, the litigation between the move and then also with George Atkinson, he, Al Davis felt that Roselle in the league had it out for him and his his franchise. But this one, this one, if you believe it, was blatant. 
and I'm way past my 30 minutes. <laughs> Stick with me. I'm going to bless you. So the 1983 draft, you know, historians, they know this. Fans, they know this. You know, diehard fans. John Elway, he's the number one prospect. You know, everybody wants him, right? Marvin Demoff, they talked about this in the 30 for 30 from El, uh, Elway to Marino. My favorite 30 for 30, period, point blank, okay? He was the agent for both Elway and Dan Marino, and um, you know, he puts a check in this box. So the Raiders have the 26th pick in the draft, right? Apparently, the night before the draft, this is when this whole supposed deal was supposed to be finalized and supposedly it, it was a deal in place, right? The Raiders are looking for, Al always looking for, you know, the next guy. Now, even though they would go on to win Super Bowl 18 and 19, the 83 Raiders would win the Super Bowl. They did so with Jim Plunkett, who was in his 30s. Would have been great to have a John Elway to take over eventually, right? Well, you know, they were shooting their shot because Elway and his father, Jack, they said, no, we don't want to play for Frank Cush. We don't want to play for the Baltimore Colts. They stink. We don't want to play for Bob Ursay. Don't draft us. And of course, against their wishes, Ernie Acorsi, who was the GM at the time, says, I'm going to draft the best prospect, the, the guy that can turn it around for us, no matter what is said. And if there's a trade that's going to happen, well, you know, this is my price tag. I want multiple first round picks, you know, and, and uh, I think it was like two ones and two twos or something like that. I can't remember the exact picks that he wanted, but he wanted either that or he's wanted picks to be able to get another first round quarterback. That's what he wanted. That was the price tag. So I'm either going to have Elway or someone that's going to play like Elway. That's what he wanted. They drafted him anyway. Of course, one second after the draft started, okay? All heck breaks loose. All Hades breaks loose. Elway has the press conference. Of course, he was uh, had the chance to play for the New York Yankees and did so in the summer anyway. It's like, look, y'all got nothing. I'm not playing for you. You know, y'all probably want to work out a deal. Well, before, you know, the Denver Broncos would trade for him, the night before the draft, so Demoff gets a call from Steve Ortmeyer. You know, they, they, uh, Demoff actually talks with Al Davis, who is still in the midst of this litigation uh, with, you know, the commissioner in the NFL, right? Trying to get his team finalized with the move and all that stuff, right? Um, well, Ortmeyer is the guy that he deals with the entire time, not Al Davis or, or anybody else. The Raiders have the 26th pick. So, Ernie Corsi, uh, Ortmeyer actually calls Bears GM Jim Finks because Corsi says we need a, a pick in the top five or the top six. The Bears have the sixth pick. They call Jim Finks, Hall of Fame GM, and they want to orchestrate a, a trade to basically bring in, uh, it's like, look, if they draft Elway, then we're willing to give up this for that and the deal was basically as follows and there was a group a and a group b group a was howie long and ted watts group b was mike davis uh and fellow defensive backs Vern mcelroy and kenny hill and linebacker jeff barnes and so you pick one player out of one uh each of these boxes okay one player from each and then we got a deal ortmeyer calls them off says we got a deal this is the night before the draft so when it comes down to the actual draft itself, uh, the deal vanishes. It vanishes. Well, here's the thing. So 
the deal was supposed to be this la was going to take that sixth pick after finks and the bears select you know let's say howie long eventual pro football hall of famer and let's just say mike davis we would you get these two players and then you would give us the sixth pick and the raiders were going to take that sixth pick their 26th pick in the first round so two first round picks and then their first round in 1984 give all three of those to the baltimore colts in exchange for john elway well here's what happened don weiss who's the nfl executive at the time he actually called the bears to see if this deal was actually real because you know i don't know if all picks had to go through league approval but he got wind of it and here's the thing the the deal vanishes okay so er, of course he and them they was going to take uh take this ammo the sixth pick and they was going to select dan marino okay that was their plan okay um the deal vanishes but Finks claims that the raiders misunderstood what they want he wanted both players in group a he wanted however long and ted watts ted watts was a kick returning defensive back who was also a first round pick back in 1981 and they they that's who they wanted that was who they, they wanted both players well <laughs> um it was challenged by al davis uh, it's like look there, there's no way because this deal was in place and you know the nfl had to have been involved in nixing this deal put the kibosh on it is the way that ron wolf hall of fame executive who worked with the packers and at the time he was with the raiders he said it was pete roselle pete roselle put his hand down and said no much like basketball fans much like david stern who had who was doing the business for new orleans basketball squad <laughs> in blocking the trade that was going to involve chris paul going to the lakers to join Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol, he blocked that. Yeah, and that's well known. Pete Rosell supposedly blocked the trade with the Raiders between the Raiders, Colts, and Bears. Straight up. That's what that claim is. Now, Finks, according to Joe Brown, I think at the time he's the NFL uh director of info. And at that point in 83, he was the former NFL vice president. Um, or vice versa i don't know which uh brown says between finks and then others uh, six other people that could back his claim said no nah, the deal was never in place because al davis didn't want to give out give up howie long out howie long shouldn't even been on the list because clearly the bears wanted howie long that was his claim that that's that is the reason why <laughs> that the deal didn't go through that's what they claim um but Yo, Marvin Demoff, the agent, says, nah, I know otherwise. He believes and he, and he talks like he knows that Roselle and the NFL offices blocked that deal. Yeah, because they didn't want John Elway going to the LA Raiders. I think having to hand the Super Bowl trophy to somebody who hates your guts every year, and because that probably would have happened had John Elway continued to be the quarterback for the uh the LA Raiders you got Elway and Marcus Allen you know in that backfield Cliff Branch was aging um but could they have found some other weapons going forward probably 
Um, but the Raiders, you know, kind of fell off going forward in those years after they won that Super Bowl anyway. Wouldn't even get back until the early 2000s when Rich Gannon was their quarterback and Jerry Rice was past his prime, still running, getting 1,000 yards, though, along with Tim Brown, two Hall of Fame receivers. But it, 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 was, it was real interesting to, to read about that. You know, so, you know, but the truth, though, is actually in the grave because Jim Finks, who passed away in 1994, Pete Rosell, who died of brain cancer in 1996, and uh, Don Weiss, who passed away in 2003, you know, they can neither confirm nor deny those allegations. They probably could have done that back then because Pete, uh, Al Davis wanted somebody's head for that, and uh, he, but he never did go through with litigation even with that. Um, they had a chance to pick Dan Marino at the 26th pick, and uh, they opted for Don Mosbar, who played offensive tackle. Uh, on that Super Bowl winning team. And uh, then in Marino, the next pick, number 27, goes to the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Imagine that. So, yeah, that, that's that's really, really interesting. But I'll say this, you know, in all the books I read, you know, not written by Raiders fans, you know, that took no sides. You know, Al was kind of described as a man. Um, again, he, he wasn't beloved by AFL owners or NFL owners, but I mean, he was a kind of a rogue and an outlaw, but I would say that was what made him special. That's what made Al Davis special. Um, not necessarily, everybody doesn't have to commit to, uh, he committed to excellence and did it his way. The Raiders don't win like that without him. They don't. It's just that simple. You don't have those Hall of Famers as he, both he and Pete Rozelle became without, you know, being the way that he was he demanded excellence and he, he knew how to get it and he did get it so i mean it, and eventually god rest his soul because he passed away in 2011 his son mark davis got it done so uh and in that af uh the al davis versus uh if you didn't see it that 30 for 30 davis versus the nfl uh i like the way that because uh, they did kind of like a um uh, you had two guys who were posing. I guess they had—I forget what you call it—where they put a computerized face on both both men and have their voices or whatever, like they're really talking and walking around in Allegiant Stadium. It's kind of kind of eerie to watch, um, but uh, it, it's, it was one of those things. But Al Davis—I mean, I hated that he complained about being the way he was treated and disliked. But you know, I always tell my kids: if you go everywhere you go, you claim it stinks. And sometimes you probably need to check your own clothes. Uh, but like I said, that's what made him special. It, it was. It's what made him special. In the end, when Pete Rozelle had to retire um, kind of prematurely, which, I mean, he had been in, at the helm with the NFL for, what, 30 years nearly, from 1960 to 1989, uh, 29 years. And, and you can see he was taking his toll on him. He was smoking a pack or packs a day. Um, it was taking his toll on him. They did. Uh, in a sense, they made up in the end before Pete would pass away five years later, or well, seven years later. Um, but, uh, you know, both of these guys were great, but I can totally understand why Al Davis and Pete Rozelle were at each other's throats <laughs> in their own special way. That's it, finally, finally. Thanks to ESPN.com. Also, the LA Times, the LA Times archives chronology of Rams move from Los Angeles to 
Anaheim. This dated August 4th, 1988. Also, the Washington Post is written by Mark Asher and Leonard Shapiro, May 8th, 1982. The jury finds against the NFL in antitrust suit. Also, a couple of books. Elway, A Relentless Life, written by Jason Cole. Badasses, The Legend of Snake Food, Dr. Death, and John Madden's Oakland Raiders. This written by Peter Richmond. He's a Raiders fan, y'all. Good book. Ooh, we. Uh, also, Ch Charles K. Ross's book, Mavericks, Money, and Men, The AFL, Black Players, and the Evolution of Modern Football. Also, two ESPN 30s for 30s, both of them directed by Ken Rogers, Elway to Marino, and Al Davis versus the NFL. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Michael Jr. This show is presented by both Belly Up Sports and Belly Up Media. Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, that's what we're about. Also, bellyupsports.com. Go to that website, check us out. Also, our home base, you can hear all of our shows. Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your family and friends about this show or I will find your house. I'm out. Music.